We all come to a tipping point in our lives sooner or later. A tipping point is where everything is on the line. It's all here right now. A tipping point is where everything shifts. It can be a shift that is expected. You, you saw it coming. You were maybe even waiting for it to come. Or it might come in a totally unexpected way, an unexpected time. It can enter stage left with joy. It can enter stage left with sorrow. Tipping points bring the agony and the ecstasy to high definition in our lives. Let me tell you about a tipping point in my life. I sometimes get asked, what was your call to the ministry? How did that, how did that happen? And it was, it was a tipping point. I was getting ready to graduate from college. It was 1975 and, and I was very interested in the possibility of working with an organization called Youth for Christ, the Youth Guidance Division. And Youth Guidance would take kids who were referred from the juvenile court and work with them, get them into Bible studies. I would spend time with them. I would take them on retreats. Uh, but on the other hand, my whole family is a business family. Everyone in business, creating a business, running a, a business. And so one day when I was asking God about what I was supposed to do, I had these two visions. And one vision I saw, and, and please don't laugh, I saw a big closet. I saw a big closet filled with suits and sport coats and ties and shirts. I had the opportunity maybe to become a Christian businessman who could make a lot of money, maybe work on Wall Street, maybe get into some kind of a sales position, make a lot of money, dress up every day, go into the battle of business, and then take my profits and turn them into gifts that I would bring to ministry. Find somebody who is doing something with kids or doing something with missions and, and support them and help them. And then I had this other vision. And that vision was all the faces of kids, mostly teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. And their look was asking this question. Will anybody listen to me? Will anybody be there with me? And I remembered being in middle school, uh, and that in those days it was junior high and then high school, and just needing somebody to just listen. Let me, let me just think out loud. Will you listen to me? And, and very rarely was there anyone there. And soon the, the closet started to just fade away and all that just was fading away. And the faces and the eyes of these young people were just getting bigger and brighter. And I knew God was calling me. It was a tipping point. And I said, yes, I know what you're calling me to do. And I will step into ministry because that's what you have asked of me, my calling was a tipping point. Let me tell you another story from another time about a tipping point. The day before he died, he was talking to her about the future. He spoke words of comfort into her heart about how he would always be there to provide for her. And then their sons would take care of them until they went to be with the Lord. 
His smile was always gentle. His strong hand touched her on the shoulder. A peace warmed the room in their tiny home. A lone oil lamp flickered a blessing. That night, she dreamed of sailing on a ship to a far port, a port she had only heard about from her friends. When she arrived far away from home, surrounded by unfamiliar sights and sounds, she was alone. She disembarked alone. She awoke feverish and startled just before dawn. In the darkness, she couldn't hear her husband breathing. She herself took a deep breath. Touching his neck and feeling it cold, she whispered a prayer. My husband served you well, Lord. Please do not leave me alone and afraid like I felt in my dream. Gentle light easing over the hill allowed her to see the outline of a man who had loved God fervently all his days, now, now motionless next to her. The future he described just yesterday was stolen by a Sirocco of fate. And yet she knew one thing, the Lord would provide. She had heard it from his lips a thousand times. The Lord will provide. He makes a way. He is the only one who can make a way for us. A tear streaked down her cheek. The dawn bid the new day come. She waited a few moments, dressed, and went to tell her friends what had happened. Her two sons were still asleep. The year was 849 B.C. This story of a tipping point is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. And this would have been a small flask with just a few drops that was left in it. A small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and, and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for, for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then, then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. She went to Elisha, and he said, go, sell the oil, now sell the oil, and, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. You and your sons can live on what is left. 
And an interesting note, Elisha, the name Elisha means God is my salvation. Elisha, the first part of his name comes from the ancient Elohim, the word for God. And the second part of his name comes from Yesha. And, and you might know that in Hebrew, the name of Jesus is Yeshua. Uh, and so it comes, that's, that's the sort of a root word that, that speaks of salvation. It actually, in the expansive meaning, means wide open spaces. In other words, you are not, you are not tied down any place. You are free, salvation. You are free, and the truth shall set you free. Elisha. Elisha, God is my salvation. His story is a story of a tipping point. He was the son of a wealthy landowner, and they had everything that they needed. Uh, he didn't have to want for anything. He didn't have to hope for anything. The family was secure. The family had a substantial life, and they lived in, in, a, in a farming uh, endeavor, and, and he could go out and plow the fields and, and put in a good day's work as a good son. Uh, and yet as the sun shined down on him and as he was sweating through the day, he knew that everything was going to be okay. Everything was fine because he lived in a secure family, economically secure. But then there came a tipping point in Elisha's life. And it's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. Elijah, Elijah the great prophet, went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. To be plowing with 12 yoke of oxen means you are quite wealthy. Plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Tipping point. Then Elisha, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. So imagine this scene. Here's Elijah, the great prophet, and he takes his, his coat off. And he throws it around Elisha. And when he does that, he puts a call upon his life. It's a, it's a tipping point moment. It means everything is going to change now. And Elisha is going to follow him. He's going to learn from him. He's going to go wherever he goes. So out in the lobby today, be careful, because I might throw my coat around you. And then you'll have to go with me wherever I go. If I go to eat hot dogs, you will go to eat hot dogs. If I take a ride to Ocracoke, you will come to Ocracoke. That's just the way it was, and that's the way it will always be. Let me say goodbye to my father and mother. Let me kiss them goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? What Elijah is saying is, is, this is a moment. This is your moment. I'm not going to try to argue with you. I'm going to try to talk you into this. This is a decision that you have to make. It's going to change the rest of your life. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment, all the, the wooden plowing equipment. He burned it to cook the meat and gave it to the people. So in other words, they saw the fire. 
and the word went out quickly. Something has happened. There's been a change, a shift. Something has happened to, to Elisha that we weren't expecting. It seemed to come out of nowhere. And so he puts together what he can only figure out to do, a giant barbecue to celebrate the change in his life. He gave the meat to the people and they ate. What were they talking about as they sat there having this great meal? Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Elijah has a tipping point. Tipping points show up inevitably. You have tipping points. You've had them. I've had them. You may be at one right now and you might not know which way it's going to tip. This, this woman, this widow, did not expect her husband to die. They had talks about the future. They had talks about growing old together. They had talks about what God was going to do in their lives and how their, their sons would take care of them probably in their, in their late years. But the tipping point came. It arrived without expectation. And it was there. And there are lessons that come out of tipping points that we must learn and apply to our lives for our tipping points that have come or our tipping points that will come. Let me give you some tipping point lessons that come out of this story. There are four. First, you will be challenged. You'll be challenged in a tipping point to believe something bigger than you've ever believed because God is in the business of doing big things. That's the business that he's in. As Gail and I thought about this calling to, to start a church, it was something bigger than we had ever thought about. It was something big that God, that God was doing. And that's what you learn in a tipping point, that when you are focused you're going to be challenged to believe something bigger than you've ever believed because God is in the business of doing big things. My friend Sonny Matthew just received a, a doctorate from Regent University. And, and Sonny has just a, a great way of teaching and communicating. And several times that I've heard him talk, he's talked about some of the research that he did and he put in his doctoral thesis about sets, S-E-T-S, sets. And he said, there's a gentleman, his name is actually Paul Hebert, who says there's only three kinds of sets in the way that people organize themselves. There's a fuzzy set, there's a centered set, and there's a, a boundary set. Let me explain them to you. The fuzzy set is what a lot of people live out in their lives. They, they have things that they do, they have a schedule, they have things that keep track of what they're doing and where they're going. They always have a GPS on or they've got an, an Apple Watch or they've got something that keeps them going in, in a direction. But if you look closely at their lives, it's kind of fuzzy. You, you can't really figure out what their life is about or, or where they're going. Or there's a lot of flip-flopping. You believe this one, one day and you believe this the next day and kind of go with the winds of, of change and, and things are flying around and, and you're just trying to, to follow and stay with wherever the crowd is. And, and, and up close, it looks like you have a focused life, but pull back from 30,000 feet, you're all over the map. And that's what a fuzzy set is. That's what a fuzzy set does. It takes you everywhere and nowhere 
all at the same time. And there are fuzzy relationships in a fuzzy set, and there are fuzzy job descriptions in a fuzzy set, and there are fuzzy vacations in a fuzzy set, and you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, hoping that you make it through to the other side of your life, but you're not really sure. You really won't admit that you don't really know a whole lot about it. Lots of fuzziness out there. Then there's a centered set. And people who order their lives around a centered set are characterized in this way. A centered set is based upon one encounter that explains everything else about their lives. One encounter that extrapolates everything from what will happen for the rest of their lives. And when Sonny talks about this, he talks about the moment when he came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He grew up in India. He was surrounded by many different cultures and many different religions. And he himself was part of a, a Christian church over there in India as he grew up. And yet he was involved in church without having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when he tells a story, he tells about this moment when he met Jesus Christ and it changed everything. And his life finally became centered. And now he knew who he was and he knew where he was going. His life wasn't fuzzy anymore. It changed everything. It continues to change everything in his life today. And it makes me think about that moment when that happened for me, when I was searching and searching and searching, and I finally said, okay, from what these people are telling me, okay, Jesus Christ, if you can change my life like these people say you can, go ahead and do it. And my life got centered, just like that. And now everything from that moment has been ordered and centered by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not living out a religion. I'm living out a relationship. You hear that all the time, but at the, at the end of the first century, when Jesus talked to one of the early churches, he, he said, you're missing it. You are lukewarm. You don't really know me. You don't even think about me much anymore. You're doing a lot of the, the forms and the functions, but you're not sitting down with me and having me challenge you and having me speak into your lives. And that's what takes us from centered to boundary. See, it was easy for people in the first century because they were, everybody's used to, to boundaries and boundaries have good purpose in our lives. But boundaries start to multiply. Boundaries have children. They're little boundaries that then grow up and they have children. And all of a sudden you are overrun with boundaries. And then you can't barely, you can barely move because you're tied up in boundaries, traditions and procedures and red tape and all kinds of things that you have to do, and you have to do it this way. And don't dare step out of the lines. Don't color out of the lines. Don't try to think out of the box. And boundaries, they, they ultimately suffocate. They squeeze the life out of us. And Jesus faced that in the first century. He saw all the boundaries that people had put in place, and they were missing love. They were missing grace. And they were missing really serving each other and really embracing each other and having compassion. They were missing all those things that are so important to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. They were missing that and they were caught up in pride. And let's make more boundaries. Let's tie people down more. That's why Jesus said, you take one convert, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Pretty strong words for the son of God. 
When you get caught up in a boundary set, your life slowly, slowly fades away and disintegrates under the weight of all the structure, of all the squeezing of the rules and the regulations. And you don't know the real answers anymore. You don't even know the right questions anymore. So on either end, fuzzy, you just go around in circles and you never really go anywhere. Boundaries, you get ultimately tied down. It's only with living this centered life that you achieve what God wants you to achieve because you believe in there's a God who's bigger than anything you've ever believed. And it's because he is in the business of doing big things. That's the first thing you have to learn in a tipping point. And sometimes you don't even learn that until you get to that point and God forces you to learn that. Second, you will be challenged in a tipping point to get everyone to have one heart and one vision with you. Look at the story. This woman's got to go out. She sends her sons out. Maybe she's with them. Uh, and she goes, we need jars. We need, we need containers. You don't think that caused a stir in the neighborhood? Nobody ever did that before. Ran around the neighborhood. Hey, you have any jars? You got empty jars? It's kind of like when you're moving. Hey, you have any boxes? You got boxes? You know where I can get boxes? It's an old Seinfeld routine, right? So people are like, what's going on? Then they start to hear through the grapevine about Elisha and, and what Elisha has said. And, and now they're very interested, which is basically why Elisha said, when you get home, close the door. You, know, you don't want all these people showing up in your house. This is, a, this is a personal, private moment that God is going to do for you as you honor him with your faith. And, and, but you've got to get everybody together to get this done. One heart, one vision. It's the only way it works. It's the only way anything works. It's the only way church works. But I'm going to go from church and theology to baseball. Three years ago, Joe Madden coached the Chicago Cubs to the World Series. And, and it was probably way overdue, some of you are going to say, over 100 years. It was the longest drought in World Series achievement in professional baseball. And, and some didn't think they were ever going to get there, and especially when, if you watch the series, when it went to the seventh game, it was just crazy, and you weren't, still weren't sure they were going to get there. But they got there. And if you read this book called The Cubs Way, uh, it, tells, it tells the story of how this all happened. Now, um, I warn you, there are some words that I shouldn't say in public in the book. Uh, it's rated adult for mature audiences. Uh, but if you've ever been to a baseball game or seen a football game, you'll probably be okay. Right, so, so he wrote his tipping point notes by hand on a card, all in purple ink, and he constantly referred to these tipping point notes with his team. And so this is what he wrote on the card, all in purple ink. C plus B plus L. Courage plus, plus belief equals life. C plus B plus L. Courage plus belief equals life. It almost sounds like a Bible verse. Second, Hezekiah. 16, verse 4, right? Courage plus belief equals life. And then he wrote this one. This one's very interesting. D-N-P-T-P-T-E-T-P. -T -T -E 
Do not permit the pressure to exceed the pleasure. In other words, there's going to be pressure. You're always going to be, have pressure. Every one of us has pressure. But play like a child. Play like you're having fun. Play in the same way that the child was playing before Jesus called him over. When they asked questions about power and prestige and authority, he said, um, guys, you don't even get what I'm talking about unless you become like this little child who was just kind of playing over there and minding his own business and not worried about stuff. And he's vulnerable and he's innocent. And you won't see the kingdom of heaven until you are like this. Do not permit the pressure to exceed the pleasure. And there is a pleasure of serving God. And there's a, a pleasure about knowing God. And yet in the middle of the pressure, sometimes we let that get squeezed out. Then he wrote, DSB, do simple better. There's a lot of things that we do that are very simple. We have programs for students. We have programs for, for children. We have mission programs. It's not about making those things more complex. They're already pretty simple. Just do them better. Catch a ground ball. Do that better. Run back and, and keep your eye on the ball while you're getting to the outfield wall. It's a simple thing, but you've got to learn how to do it better or you'll lose the ball. DSB, do simple better. Then he wrote this, the letter B, be present, not perfect. Be present, not perfect. In other words, don't worry if you do fall down, if you do make an error, if the ball goes through your legs. You don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're not going to play it perfectly, but always be in it. Always know, like my little league coach told me so many years ago, when the batter gets up, know what you're going to do if the ball gets hit to you. And I've done that ever since I was in single digits. Know what I'm going to do if the ball, if it gets hit to me. What if we translated that into mission? What if we translated that into ministry? Know what you're going to do if God lets the ball get hit to you. And then finally, Z, irreverent. The Z stands for Don Zimmer. We're not going to do a Don Zimmer biography here today. You can look that up on your own. Z, irreverent. Manage without being afraid to take risks. Manage without being afraid to take risks. And in any endeavor in life, you have to take a risk. You have to get out on the limb. You have to go where you don't have all the answers, where sometimes it's dim light. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. So what Paul's saying is, there's going to be a lot of dim light situations down here that you're not going to be totally able to figure out. You're going to have to take some risk, believing that God is in the risk, that God ordained the risk, that God gave you a gift of a risk. Manage without being afraid to take risks. And we've had to take hundreds of risks, hundreds of risks over a quarter of a century, hundreds of risks for 25 years to be a church. And you got to take them. And we're taking one today on this Legacy Sunday. And we're saying, let's think together. 
about what our legacy is, will be. But here's the tipping point for the Cubs in 2016. At spring training, Madden gave a talk to his team. And he said this, he said, embrace the target. We're going to the World Series. Get your arms around that. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. We all have to set aside our personal agendas. Do you know how many personal agendas there are in life? When you go to your office or you go to your place of employment, I guarantee you there are personal agendas. I used to work for a trucking company when I was going to college. There were personal agendas all over that trucking company all the time. We all have to do our jobs. You know where you are, stay in your lane, do the job that you're supposed to do. You're in the outfield, play that outfield. You're sitting on the bench, they keep your head in the game. You're, you're coming out of the bullpen, do your job. We know we're not perfect, but we can be present, always, always knowing that we're doing this together, which is what he said then at the very end. We are our own little planet, so we must rotate around the same goal. What was he saying? Same thing that I say. One church, one vision. One church, one vision. We are one church. If we all have one vision, we will shatter the expectations. We will blow past the edge of, of where God wants us to go into the very arms of his will. His will is always an embrace. His will is always a gift. It's always honorable. It honors the one who gave his life for us so that we return our lives to him. So you take all that baseball stuff, zoom, we're going to go back into theology, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Paul puts it this way. And he's talking about a different kind of a tipping point. Each of you should, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. In other words, you don't have to have a debate in your brain. Just make a decision. Make that decision. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. I love the way he puts this. God loves a cheerful giver, so like, I'm giving. But he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop and think about this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And, and Paul knew the story of the widow and the jars. He knew the story of the oil. He knew the story about going through the Red Sea. He knew the story about the ark and how God abundantly provided a way out for Noah and his family, God provided a way out of Egypt. God provides a way out. He knows that God is a God of abundance who calls us into the abundance so that we give out of the abundance. And you do that when you have a centered set, when you have a moment, a, a relational dynamic moment with Jesus Christ that changes everything. You know who you are. You know where you are going. Third, can't believe I'm just at number three. Third, there's number four. Third, you will see the provision of God in tangible economic ways at the intersection of faith and life. This woman, this woman, I don't think she imagined what was going to happen. 
She saw the, the tangible effects in economic ways when her faith and her life came together. She got so much oil that not only did she pay off all the debt, so she was now free, but there was enough left over to take care of her for the rest of her life and to provide for her sons. And it doesn't totally quantify it, but you get the picture that she had the, the grace of God poured out to her. She didn't have to worry anymore about what they were going to eat or what, what was going to happen in terms of economics. And that's where the question comes in this morning. What will your legacy be? What will our legacy be? I'm just going to give you two quick numbers. Two quick numbers. Ready? They're the same. 100, 100. That's it. That's the whole plan. That's the big risk of today. That's a tipping point. It all comes down to two numbers. They're really the same. 100, 100. What does that mean? It means that we need 100 individuals and or families to step in to the tipping point with the legacy campaign. And the average pledge that comes out of those 100 individuals over, over a 48 month period, four year period, is gonna average out, some will be more, some will be less, it will average out to $100 a month. In the first service, we had a pledge made right after the service of $30,000 over four years. And we had a pledge made of $50 a month for four years. $50 a month for four years. Do the math. I can't do it, but figure out what it was. What is that? $200? 2000 Somebody help me. I was never great at math. This is audience participation. 2400 somebody said? Thank you, CPAs of America. Okay. So you see how there's a, a variation of gifts within the 100, but it all has to just average out to a point of 100 because you have 100, giving 100 for 48 months, you have $4.8 million. CPAs of America, check me out. $4.8 million. And that's the risk, the risk of of the ministry that we do together and the risk of the future that God's given us. It all comes down to, can we do this? One church, one vision, 100, 100. But it's even, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. We've got these cards and these cards are just the, 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 the faith in life expression of my legacy is. And there's a wall out in the lobby. And if what you do today is you go out and you fill out one of these cards and you put it up there, my legacy is. My legacy is, I want to go on a mission trip. I've always wanted to go. People say this to me all the time. I've always wanted to go on a mission trip. My legacy is this new year, 2019, I will go on a mission trip. My legacy is, I'm going to do more to make sure that my grandchildren grow up understanding who God is in their lives because I am going to be the expression of God's grace in their lives. My legacy is I'm going to be more grounded in Scripture than I've ever been before because I've been working and keeping busy, but I'm going to make time and effort in my life to be in a women's Bible study, to be in a men's Bible study, to go to faith and life class. My legacy is I am going to leave behind a chunk of my heart in a church 
that's going to stand forever and ever where people are going to come and hear the message of God and hear the message of Christ and hear the message of what God can do when we give him our hearts together. So do this and then pray about being 100. Pray about being one of 100 individuals and or families that say, I'm in, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to open myself into that tipping point of what God can do when I wrap my arms around him and I'm centered and I just know everything about who I am and where I'm going because of Christ and who he was and what he did for me. And finally, you will have the resources to create the future because there is a God who cares about your future. That's the whole point of that story. The oil poured out and poured out because God cared about her future. I want to show you this, this one-minute video. It's done by a very insightful young man who's a junior in high school. His name is Caleb Knox. He's been uh, like a ministry intern with our student ministry program. Just hear his heart. Just hear his heart. Caleb Knox. Well, it's kind of like an echo chamber because, like, I go to school and, you know, I'm with my friends there, but it's not always the easiest to kind of get built up in that Christian environment. But then I get the opportunity to come here with like-minded kids my age and, I mean, older, younger, and it's really just an environment where you can feel safe sharing your faith and growing in it with like-minded believers. And as long as you're relying on your own strength to serve in a church or in, in God's kingdom that he's building here, you're not gonna get anything done. There's not gonna be any substantial progress made. Once you look to God for your source of strength, especially in something like this, your doubts are kinda calmed. It's like exponential growth in the community because you're growing yourself and you're growing the people you're working with. And it's like, you all get to grow in fellowship and together. And we're not, we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant, we're meant to be helped and we're meant to help others. And serving allows you to not only like kind of condition yourself to put yourself second but it also just allows God to work through you and you get to see how real it is how real God is my name is Caleb and I am a difference maker you should get him to sign a contract right now 25 years from now you'll be the pastor of Spring Marist Community Church you should get him to sign that contract right now but he he innately knows his life is centered. He knows what God is trying to do. And he knows that God's not trying to do this in, in just one of us. He's trying to do this with all of us. So let me put this in four words, in summation. Believe, believe God is going to do something big. Something big in what we're doing together. One church, one vision. Conceive, conceive of God pouring out, see that. See God pouring out and filling all these jars and you are one of those jars. And so then you're gonna pour that out so that the kingdom of God rides the wave of your faith and life every single day. Achieve, achieve something for God in this world that needs so much to see people who are centered and people who know what life is really about. Go on a mission trip. Take a class, get connected, get involved. Because in essence and true, just to be flat out true, the only person that stops you from doing that is you. God's got all these doors wide open. You are the only one that can stop that. And then finally receive. 
receive everything that God wants to, to give, that everything God wants to pour out into us as a church. Believe, conceive, achieve, and receive. You'll be challenged at a tipping point to believe something bigger than you've ever believed because God is in the business of doing big things. You'll be challenged at a tipping point to get everyone to have one heart and one vision with you. You'll be able to see the provision of God at a tipping point in tangible economic ways at the intersection of faith and life, and you will have the resources at a tipping point to create the future because there is a God who cares about your future. There's a God who cares about our future. So what do you do at the tipping point? You ask a simple question. And here it is. What am I doing that's going to last forever? Dear Heavenly Father, help us answer that question and know that you're doing that in us and through us. You're allowing us to participate in the forever of your kingdom, in the forever life that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, Pray now for each of us that we will have one heart, one purpose, that we'll be centered, and that you will do something amazing. That we'll be able to say, this is the amazing story of my life, of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. So let me be flat out honest and vulnerable. We need this. It's bigger than any of us individually. It's bigger than any of us, than all of us together. 100, 100. Do what God whispers to your heart to do. Next week, we're going to talk about courage, choosing courage and what that means from the story of Esther. Father, guide and bless these men and women as they go forth to do your bidding in the world, to shine the light that is the light of Christ in the midst of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Good day and God bless you.